You've heard about people reinventing themselves, but did you ever wonder how it was actually done? Libby Gore is a multi-award winning radio and TV broadcaster who, as the satirical character Elle McFeast, became the first woman in Australia to helm her own national nighttime variety show, Elle McFeast Live. Then a clearly drunk, notorious hitman, Chopper Reed, staggered on stage to be interviewed and proceeded to laugh while joking about killing a man by putting him in a cement mixer. Fair to say the shit hit the fan. The absolute rocket that Elle McFeast was riding into the heights of career success took a very unexpected turn. The show, which had been originally commissioned for 32 episodes, ran only 16, and well before social media cancel culture was invented, the manufactured media outrage around the moment essentially ended Elle McFeast, sending Libby to seek cover where she put things back together to re-emerge anew. It was an enormously high-profile moment, one which she talks about with her show Bold Conversations happening at the Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne this Thursday and on the 28th of March. We touch on that as well during our conversation in this episode, which I can't wait for you to hear. But first, I've got to play some ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The truth was that I did lose my mojo and where I'd previously been unafraid, Mm. I now had fear Mm. and mistrust. I never, I I adored what I did and I'd always loved it. And it's sort of like the first time you bust your leg on the football field or whatever. So I, I think what I ended up doing was going overseas. When the year was done, I went somewhere where I could be Libby. And that was good because all I craved was for someone to call me Libby. Yeah. And not out. I needed to work out what that was. And then it was just, you know, a very long cycle of um, getting back on your feet, really. 
That is broadcaster and author Libby Gore. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. Welcome. Thanks for being here. This is Better Than Yesterday, a podcast here to help make your day today better than yesterday, something you hear on this show. And every show will do just that. And there's episodes going back to 2013 with conversations involving people from all over the world, all walks of life, some of them experts in their field, but each one will leave you feeling just a little bit better than you did the day before. That's the goal of the show. That's what It does what it says on the box. Uh, I'm Osha Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster, TV host, author, uh, dad, stepdad, leaf raker, leaf blower, operator, um, podcast listener, uh, coffee ground sweeper, uh, recycle bin taker outer, resurrected roadie hat wearer <laughs> lately, uh, a comedy show producer and performer, writer. And I'm here every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest on Fridays, I'm here with you. The comedy show I'm talking about is NTNN, NNN, Real Stories, Fake News. It's so much fucking fun. We did another show on Friday. There's one left in Sydney until we uh, piss off to Melbourne and we won't be back until May. On Friday, Yumi Steins was our weather reporter and it was amazing. Some of the shit we covered was so grim, but we laughed so hard. I can't even tell you. Uh, like the the potential threat of you know Chinese land invasion was um, hilarious, uh, you know the rental crisis had people laughing till they cried. It was it was amazing because you got to laugh at this shit because otherwise it'll crush us. Yumi, <laughs> there was some some of the cast uh, during a uh, one of our news reports. There's some some incels on stage, essentially, and Yumi just melted their faces off. I, I think Yumi Steins actually flashed some people on stage. It was pretty special. It was an amazing moment, and uh, you had to be there to see it, and you have to be there to see it on Friday because it's the last show we're doing before we leave to Melbourne. Tickets are on sale for both the this Friday's show, the Melbourne Comedy Festival shows, and I believe the Sydney Comedy Festival show has gone sale on Tuesday or Wednesday, but all the links are in the show now, so, so get right in. So uh, let me tell you about my guest today, Libby Gore. She is a landmark Australian broadcaster from her beginnings as a cabaret performer under the mentorship of the great Andrew Denton. She rapidly rose to a high-profile TV presence on the show, Live and Sweaty. It was a very fun uh, late-night sports show, Saturdays, I believe it was. And she appeared as the satirical character Elle McFeast. It was a kind of a version of her, but as many satirical characters, she kind of, like Stephen Colbert used to be on his show, The Colbert Report, he is kind of a souped up version of, of who, of, of himself. Uh, Elle then became the first woman in Australia to be given her own late night variety show. It was a big moment. The show was called McFeast Live. But this moment, well, it kind of exploded into a bit of a crumbling heap, unfortunately, when the, the very first guest that she had was recently released from prison, a notorious underworld figure, Chopper Reed. Um, he had about the reported, allegedly reported about 12 beers in the green room before he came on. And on live TV, started joking about the time that he apparently killed a man by shoving him in a cement mixer. 
It was horrible and outrage ensued. Pre-cancel, cancel culture ensued. Her astonishing rise to power was unable to compete with the stacks on, the absolute stacks on. This went on for days and days and days. The moment was enough to change the course of her career. Eventually, the show, which was supposed to run a lot longer than it did, was taken off air. Libby retreated. She reinvented. And she resurrected. Libby is a very important, very powerful voice in Australia. And while 48-year-old me is extraordinarily happy to have her on the show today, way deep inside me, 14-year-old me is even happier. Don't worry, we get to that. Enjoy this chat with Libby Gore. Libby, I'm, I'm just so happy that I can speak to you today. We are conversing over the internet uh, right now, but only a, a few short uh, oh, the day before my birthday, actually, I'm really? coming to converse. Yeah, it's the day before my birthday, my 49th birthday. Oh, wow. We are, we are uh, going to be conversing with each other in front of the Malthouse Theatre in the South Bank of Melbourne. One, so I have a chance to actually, you know, be in the same space as you for the first time since I think 1985. Oh, my God. Uh, or six. And secondly, to shamelessly plug my show, uh, which is running at the Malthouse starting on the, the two days later. So I'm grateful that we can we can speak today. So what's really interesting is that if your birthday is on March the 29th, yeah. My birthday is on March the 24th, so we're both Aries. And well, there we're both you go. going to have a fabulous year because I... I'm sure, I'm but, sure all of our ex-partners could all get together and have a convention and go, oh, you fuck, yes, I know, right? <laughs> it's true. We're impulsive. We're all sorts of things, but we're, it's our special year. It's our emerald year. And I follow Susan Miller Astrology Zone. Do you follow Susan Miller Astrology Zone? The only uh, the only astrology that I, I'm into is you know inv- involves gigantic radio telescopes, but uh, okay. you know it has come into my life before. There was a there was a moment where I I, I dabbled with Kabbalah, so astrology has come into my okay. life. Mysticism. So this is the wonderful thing about Susan Miller Astrology Zone is she's got trillions of followers all over the world, and she's always late. And whenever she's late in posting, like she's two or three days late every every month, and it's always something terrible's happened, like her eyeballs exploded or. Excellent. Um, you know, like there's always some reason why she's late and everybody always says, oh, come on, Susan, like if you can see the future in the stars, you surely should have been able to see the month was going to end. Anyway, but um, I look forward to every new month because I get to check in with Susan Miller Astrology Zone. But so, yes, it's our birthday month and uh, I'm here for the same reason. Apart from I get the chance to talk with you the other way around, I get to shamelessly promote I've got two shows left at the Malthouse called Bold Conversations, B-O-L-D, not bald, as in B-A-L-D, B-O-L-D. And yeah, right. you're on the one that is Young People Shit Me. Uh-huh. That's the name of that one. The people at the Malthouse are young people and they yeah. insisted that I change the title to Young People Shit Me, Old People Shit Me, because apparently old people shit them. I have done that because I'm accommodating. But really... <laughs> Young people just shit me. And the one before that, March 16, because there are only two left, is called My Favourite Failure because I'm trying to do some sort of sustainability march on personal experiences, turning them around into something positive, which I know sounds shamelessly just promotional and I'm happy to go deep and meaningful if you want. No, 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 no. Look, 
It's because I, I aim today. I'm trying. Here's the thing. I, I am in like I am. Tr- I've got my foot in two boats. Like I've got one foot on the you know the fair star, the fun ship of television. You know, like the great giant ocean liner of prime time reality that I've been, you know, has been sailing me and my mortgage across the seas for twenty something years. You're and the so other lucky. foot is in a. My other foot's in a fucking dinghy because uh, the podcast in there and this live show I'm doing is in there and a few other things are in there. There is something to be said for meaningful work. And there's also something to be said for backing yourself in like and still having your passion projects going. To recalibrate in your 50s, and you're not there yet, but it's a very interesting thing to do, you know, and I think we're the first generation of people because there are six generations of us living cheek to jail. You've got the silent generation, which is my parents' generation who, Mm. let me tell you, they're not silent at all. Um, Then you've got those boomers that won't go away. Then you've got exes, me, like you. They never acknowledge us. They don't even say that. They just go, yeah, boomers, millennials, and they forget us. Yeah, yeah. Then there's the millennials, then you've got Zs, and then you've got your kids, A. They're called alpha. Your kids are alpha. Mine are Z. Anyway, so there are six generations, cheek to jowl, trying to find some meaning, and I reckon we're the first ones in history our age who have got an opportunity to start again because uh, Mr. Howard said that we had to work till we were at least 70. And let's face it, who wants not to? I love it. (laughs) I love it. Mr. Howard might have been saying that because he was worried that, you know, you know, the the age of entitlement would mean that people would uh, just expect a pension and, and go. But I, I distinctly remember as a kid, mates, dads retiring at 55. I know. 50 fucking five. And getting a fat fucking government pension and just being like, well, I guess I'm going fishing. Yeah. And that's just what they did. Uh, famously, one of the greatest surfers of all time, Mark Richards, at 27 at the top of his game, retired because he's like, oh, it just didn't make sense to be so old surfing. Kelly Slater's still in the tour. He's like three years older than me. He's like in his early 50s. Mm. It's it's kind of interesting. But also I don't think like Mr. Howard was, I want to keep working so I can put food on the table. It's like I don't want to stop because I honestly don't know what I would do if I didn't do this. I would just probably... I would live a very lonely life because I would drive everyone around me <laughs> fucking away because I would just be insufferable if I didn't have something to do. Well, you've always made your own work though, right? Hey, I, I, I just want to know how do you like being a reality star? Like I'd love to be a reality star. Not on maths. I don't think I'd like that. Honestly, I don't I've think I'd nev- be very good at that. The only I've never watched an actual broadcast frame of that. I only see it when it goes by on Gogglebox every few weeks. Ah, Gogglebox. I've never watched it. I just, I know, like, I know about 30 people that work on it. Reality TV is really interesting. You know, you get these fascinating people that want to be a part of it and these extraordinary scenarios that happen, you know, that are, are constructed to you know, give you the exposition for what the show is, whether it be dating someone or building a house or cooking a thing or whatever. And then every now and again, you get these unbelievable moments that justify its existence. We had one maybe two weeks ago on a Sunday night. Uh, The tribal council of Survivor was the possibly the greatest 10 minutes of Australian television I think I've ever seen. Why is that? What, did it, what happened? See, I don't watch the stuff. What happened? Oh, oh my God. Survivor's probably the greatest reality, like greatest non-scripted reality format ever made. It is 
Um, it is the reason that reality television exists and it used, there's no way you could ever write it. Um, the short version is there's a bloke called George. By the time we, you know, released this, he may have left. Um, but as far as I know, he's still there. That I did miss an episode the other night. Um, George is the kind of guy that he's walking past two people in a park playing chess without breaking step. He'll go, black wins in six and just keep walking. Like he'll be, he's that kind of guy, but with people. He's a backbencher, um, party whip. Um, for uh, New South Wales Labor. Uh, right. I don't think he's still in the party anymore. But knows how people move and is like Jane Austen, Jane Austen game theory, Neo in the Matrix can see exactly who to, what to say to who. So in seven moves, someone will say something to somebody else. He's amazing. And just oh. dismantled. It was like him living his high school bully destruction dreams. Dismantled this boy, this poor boy, poor boy. Just dismantled him with his own bluster and took him to pieces and just took his very sense of self and identity just apart in front of him. And this kid, he's like, kid, he's like, he's 26, probably 25, just took him to pieces and just left him there, like, stunned. It was unbelievable. Verbally dismantled him. But he had put so many things in place in the days leading up to it that. The guy, it was so well executed and so well planned. Right. The so guy, had, the guy had no idea. And the stakes were so high and it was, it was just amazing. And so every now and again you get that and then sometimes you get these reality shows that is like, tonight on Australia's best chainsaw cupcake races. And it's just the same. You, just, you could watch it five times, same episode five times, not realise you hadn't seen it four times before. But that's what reality TV is. It's, it's cheaper to make than scripted. And occasionally you get these colossal moments. I love being a part of it. I love, uh, I'm involved in, you know, I don't think Bondi Rescue is exactly reality. It's more observational documentary, but I'm involved in, you know, this particular one, the Bachelor franchise has allowed us to kind of Trojan horse these interest, really interesting depictions of what it is to be a young single person in Australia. You know, people who are your age and my age and maybe a little bit younger can't, or certainly your age, my age and older, just can't conceive of a 28-year-old man or woman that's never had a long-term girlfriend or boyfriend. No. They haven't, they haven't had to because sex is transactional. They swipe to get it. And so any, they don't need the relationship skills. They don't need the relationship yeah. skills or, or all of that kind of like precursor, you know, I don't, trying not to be a punished to be around and trying to be a better person and try to let go of all the bullshit you carried in high school so as to allow enough contact hours to get this person to either, you know, either let you inside of them or go, yeah, I'll let you inside of me. Like, you know, that took work. But that work largely doesn't have to happen in many ways. And so you meet these people who are in their like 20s, early 30s who literally have never had a long, never, in, never introduced their parents to a woman. So the sex thing doesn't, is separate to the relationship, the sex. Piece. It's completely apart. Oh my God. Gee, that would have been very liberating. Because for me, when I was growing up, it was always, you always had to be in love with someone and it needed to be a marriage prospect. Like if it wasn't, right. you would feel incredibly guilty. But that might have been the Jewish thing as well. Yeah, like, I think I, your parents watched too much Yenthal, to be honest. I think you know, I was like. A little bit fiddler on yeah. the roof. But still, yeah. <laughs> I remember once I had this boyfriend. And mum and dad were away. It was actually one of my best friend's older brothers. And we were together and we saw the headlights in the driveway, mum and dad coming home. And we'd been imbibing as well. And he decided that the most important thing to do was to hide the dope. And I was like, no, just put your clothes on if you want to get out of your life. Put your clothes on. (laughs) 
<laughs> but, you know, like it was funny. It was sex was not just for fun. And no. what I say to my kids is now I try and give them a, a different messaging to what we got because it meant that you had to think you were in love with people you were just attracted to. So you yeah. spent an awful lot of time, yeah. you know, justifying being with someone because you actually just fancied them. And there certainly Not wasn't what? like any idea of sex for pleasure. No. Was well, I mean, like I knew I had to get something out of it, but it wasn't. It wasn't just. To, yeah. Wasn't just for me. It had to have a relationship no. in there. No, you're a you know you're you're a, all kinds of language. You're a slut. You're a whore. You're a player. You're all kinds of. You know, you, to, to have just simple transactional sex for pleasure and say, hey, thanks, that was great. Goodbye, was, don't worry, I won't call you. Is that what they do? Um, is that what they do? That, that this, this happens, yes. Just young people or people our age? Or? I don't, look, I, 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 I have, I've had, I have a, before I was married uh, the first time, there was some years of, of orbiting in this universe and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was fun, uh, you know, it's consensual. But did and, people and, think that you know that you liked them? Like, was that part of it, um, or was it? Just I think. Didn't uh, look, to pretend you liked them. Well, you know, it was at the time. You know, bear in mind, Libby, I was reading the Motley Crue book, The Dirt, like it was an instruction manual, <laughs> not a cautionary tale. So. The fact that I was on on the road and literally saying I'm on a plane tomorrow, uh, I think may have helped set parameters. Right. So the interesting <laughs> thing is the whole El McFeast thing. What was weird about that was that a little birdie told me that maybe you might have had a thing. Maybe you were a 16 year old boy watching me on the television when I was twelve. Me? Yeah. No. Okay. So bear, bear in mind, like people are listening to your voice, they might sit, hear you sound familiar. Like you're Libby Gore, but for many years, people saw you on television, essentially in a character, which was a, a version of you, mm. Elle McFeast, mm. which is a fantastic play on the super duper model at the time. Uh, my first, um, uh, I guess, you know, awareness of who you were, uh, was as Libby Gore. Where? And it, uh, some weird little park in Brisbane, Albert Park, oh, I think it was. The Bagels at Expo. You were, maybe that was it. Yeah, I think it was 14. And you were on stage mm. as, as part of a singing group. Yeah, the bag- um, Bagels. I, I don't remember how many ladies there were. Uh, there was four of you. There was lots of harmony. It was hilarity. It was it was very funny. And I remember, like, there's all these ladies on stage, but there was just something about you particularly that I couldn't look away from. And now, but look, bear in mind, like, now, you know, I'm not to say that I wasn't enamoured by you, certainly when, you know, Elle McFeast was on the screen. It was like, oh, there she is. And, the, you know, similar, you know, was there. But you know, I was 14 years old and there was more testosterone than a bull shark at that point in time. So <laughs> there was a lot. There was a lot happening, but on my radar, just like, boom, there was just something about you. I remember being 14, and I think you were like my first proper, like, proper actual teenage in-person crush because you could look at pictures or whatever and and, and go, oh. but there weren't, I didn't know where women like that existed in Brisbane. I certainly wasn't able to talk to them. Hi, how are you? Like, it just wasn't going to work. Uh, but I remember you. You thought I was gorgeous. You wanted to. You, well, you still are. Come on now. Uh, but I, re- I remember that. I rem- and It's uh, funny. I remember talking to you afterwards and I think because my dad had taken me to the gig how did you get from being a part of that to propelling up into the kind of higher 
uh, altitudes of th- that brought you to greater you know public attention on the telly. What happened was when I got to uni, mm. I surprised everybody and myself and did spectacularly well, and got into Melbourne University Law, which was like you know the high you know, the highest thing that you could possibly get into. Yeah, and through that university. Did you just ask me how that happened? So what happened was I auditioned for the law review at the university because ah. I didn't, I was just so overwhelmed to be there. And, you know, I'd gone to this MLC, this all-girls school, and it was very gung-ho, like Nicola Roxon went to MLC. She was the year below me, Kate Blanchett. There was something in the water at MLC in those, in the 80s, and all the yeah. girls were, we thought we could do it all and we could have it all and we could be it all and whatever. But when I got to university in particular, Melbourne University, Blue Ribbon Law School, I realised that some of the boys who'd gone to those elite private boys' schools had not got the same email. So I go in there thinking, I'm entitled. And once I got in there, suddenly I was in this race that I just couldn't compete. It was about beauty. It was about, um, I don't know, wealthy families. It was about a whole heap of stuff that Remembering it was free education still then. I was a recipient uh, of that, the whole gospel wow. thing, and the last of that. And so I auditioned for the Law Review because I just needed to somehow make some friends. And the first year I was just so intimidated I had to drop out because there were all these Xavier boys from the Catholic boys' school who were in charge and they were all so cool and the girls were all so pretty and ponytailed. And I still felt like I was this dumpy really insecure about my looks because I was sort of woggy and everybody else was blonde and ponytailed. And, yeah. You know, you know, that whole woggy kind of yeah, yeah. thing that you feel when you don't quite fit in. And yeah. um, anyway, so I dropped out the first year. The second year, there was another girl who also auditioned who I thought was chubbier than me. She had a pink fluffy jumper. She was hilarious. And whilst I was wanting to go out the back door and not audition, I thought if she can do it, I can do it. That was Magda. And that whole... <sighs> So I found myself in the milieu of Magda, Rob Sitch, um, Tom Gleisner, um, who else was in there? There were, you know, Santo, the whole thing. And whilst I didn't fit into the working dog model, because I wasn't really a character actor, I was more a satirist, yeah. Yeah. I certainly got my confidence up from being around those people. Somewhere through there, the hot bagels, um, were looking, they already existed. Yeah. They'd had a row and two people had left, so they were looking for two new members, a piano player and the third singer because there were two sisters, Anna and Lena Fishman, Mm. and they auditioned me and gave me the part because I had a very big bottom and they wanted a sort of a, you know, lumpen-thighed Jewish girl to sing about being... Andrew's sisters on crack songs about growing up in Balaclava and being in the bagel belt. Now, the interesting thing was that Janine, who was the piano player, was Italian, so she didn't have that experience. And my Jewish experience was very Anglican because I'd been to an Anglican girls' school, Methodist senior school. So I sort of was Jewish with a Methodist rising and a moon in the Church of England, you know, like I'm very old school um, Melbourne. I'm very old school Melbourne. So... Yeah. You asked me how that happened. That's how that happened. I was the last bagel to join. Yeah. And I was just lucky because that was sort of 1986 and that's when the whole groundswell of the comedy festival, 1986, 1987, the bagels were yeah. 
um, given the job of opening for Phyllis Diller at the very first comedy festival. Like I've gotten this stuff and people have told me. I realise now how lucky I was to be part of that whole history. But I would have only been 22, 23, 24, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it happened. Just to stop for a sec, because I'm, I'm, I'm I've been doing the show. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Just, just occasionally, there's little bits and pieces that I'm like, that deserves further exploration. Because during this show, over the last ten years or so, like, I was, I was a part. I've been a part of something similar twice. I was part of the Brisbane band scene in the '90s, which just had something. Uh, and it was um, regurgitated, Powderfinger, oh, yeah. et cetera, that, that had come up. The go-betweens had been about uh, eight years beforehand and there was just something that happened about not necessarily the people that were on stage but, but also many people that surrounding them just went and just kind of exploded out of that. And it happened again with Channel V on the music television. I was just a part of this just cohort occasionally a cohort of people gets in the right combination with the right time in history with the right amount of opportunity and just unbelievable things happen what do you remember that was you've obviously you've been in the entertainment industry for long enough now when you look and you see you know tom and santo and rob and you know magda was there something about that particular group of people that have something that other people didn't have well, a free tertiary education. That was my God damn it. Well, that's fucking between that and the NBN, like fucking hell. <laughs> where we could be. I mean, where we could be beyond their class and had visions and dreams beyond what their yeah. family programming was, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was the first thing. It threw a whole bunch of people together who were yeah. driven, not entitled. Yeah. Um, oh. And out of that comes something, an energy, doesn't it? But the system was already there. The system was already there in terms of law reviews and things because that's where Max Gillies and um, yeah. Rod Quantock and everything, like yeah. certain institutions, Barry Humphreys, they all went to Chaser up here in, up in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, Chaser Sydney. all came out of They all came out of Sydney Uni. Yeah, it's so all like one particular year got together. That's what the beauty of being a, of the extracurricular activity at university can do because sometimes it's your passions that become your path. Yeah. As distinct from what you study. Although the law degree's obviously been very handy because <laughs> you know how far you can go. Did you finish it? Yeah, yeah, of course I did. <gasps> Amazing. That's yeah, incredible. I had to finish it. My dad gave me an earring at the beginning of the year that I did my article class. He, because he, I put it off my article clerkship, which is your professional year for two years, yeah. whilst I toured with the bagels. And dad said, here's a diamond stud. And when you finished your articles, I'll give you the other one. Nice. That's and good, dad. Good parenting, dad. Do you really dad. think I'm that shallow? <laughs> and said, yes. My article. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a... doing Elle McFeast at the same time. Yeah. So, Which, you know, you've got to this when you're young. Yeah, amazing. When you... You know, when you're out and you're starting to become El McFeast, which was there was a there was a brand in Australia called Sports Girl before there was fast fashion, before you could buy clothes and have them at your front door by eleven and return by five because they didn't fit. Uh, but you know, but there was a, it's amazing, right? Courier, we should be in the courier game. Let me honestly, we should be. I know, I know parcels. We're in the wrong gig. Yeah. Um, there was this band called Sports Girl and you were the voiceover artist and Correct. you were told we need you to sound like Elle McPherson, who was one of the pictures that I was looking at. Um, there probably weren't any other people in the room when I was looking at these pictures. Elle, I'm not going to uh, lie. Uh, Libby, I'm not going to lie. Uh, but uh, you were told to sound, you know, do your best. Sell this person. And so you kind of created this, this person. And I said, how do you sound hungry? <laughs> 
She's fuck. I bet you. Look at her now. Gosh, she would have. You know, like. I'm not the first woman to talk about how insecure about her body and her mm. looks, particularly from the 70s and 80s. You know, like if you were dark and had curly hair and big thighs and whatever, you did not fit into that Elle McPherson cover of Sports Illustrated paradigm. Mm. You just didn't. So what do you do with that when you're told that you're entitled to have it all and you should be valued on your brain and not your looks? And also in the 90s there was this dichotomy that you couldn't actually be both, like... Yeah. Beautiful yeah. and smart, like that. That they, it was still weird. Pick a lane. Yeah. Come on, we don't know what to do with you. What are you doing on this show? You're yeah. supposed to be on that show. Oh, Why are you wearing so many clothes? What are yeah. you doing with this mouth thing? What's that sound coming out of your face? Talking. Yeah. Exactly. So it was <laughs> interesting seeing how one channels one's insecurities or flaws yeah. into creativity, and I think probably the creativity saved me. Yeah. Because it was hard. You know, it being different's hard. So unless you can carve your own path and celebrate your differences and celebrate your flaws, you know, you're constantly, you constantly, I just didn't want to stay like that. I needed to do something with that. You remember how you, you feel, you felt, you remember how you felt when you looked at Elle McPherson on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. It, you it's know, you not, don't, mid, there's misery in comparison. Yeah. And, you know, I really feel um, our eldest, she's 19. She sees that perfection about every 12 seconds when she's on her phone. Oh, right. Yeah, and yeah. And that comparison, yeah. that smash in the face of you're not this, you're not that. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's stunning. Gorgeous. She's 6'1". Yeah, she's amazing. She, she, she is. Pilates instructor. She's fucking incredible, right? Yeah. But there's... We all have a thing. We all have a, um, there's not enough of this or not enough of that. Like even like my, I had, I don't, I try to stay away from Instagram as much as I can because the algorithm knows me. And every now and again, it's like, here's a bloke around your age. He doesn't have a gut. Here's a bloke around your age. He's got a six pack. Here's a bloke around your age. He's like, got a fucking boat, you know? <laughs> I just like 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not, it's not real, but it's, it's devastating. I think we're. Uh, sorry, that was a bit of an aside. Like, we're not really equipped back, to deal with that, though. If you look back at photos of yourself at 16, you see, I think that perhaps, I don't know about 16-year-old boys, but if 16-year-old girls knew how powerful they were at 16, oh they would be completely and utterly dangerous, oh more God. dangerous than they are. So maybe anthropologically that's why we're beset with insecurities and stuff like that at that particular age because if you knew how absolutely <laughs> gorgeous and powerful you are, You'd be unstoppable. I wouldn't say it's anthropologically. I'd say it, it's the the insecurity of men realizing that we'll lose all power to that power. That has it's got nothing to do with anthropology or evolution. Okay. It's I think it's got all to do with power. Oh, absolutely. Oh, true. But girls I, don't see they have the power. See, I'm watching this with my son who's seventeen. Yeah. If I'd had a son before I'd been a teenage girl, I would have understood the male psyche so much more and possibly would have been much happier. Right. You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. If I'd known how sweet and non, just just think differently to girls. They just don't agonise and think, thing, overthink. Your boys are very straightforward at, at that particular age. I mean, I'm sure that they've got their own insecurities and this and that and the other, but not like we did it as girls. I cannot see that amidst my son and his friends. No. They just no. enjoy life. They do. You know? Is that yeah. true? 
I, I look, I only remember going to a, a school at the age of 16, 17. It was probably not dissimilar to the one you mentioned down in Melbourne. It was all boys. And uh, the view of the world that I was given, the view of the world that I osmosed and the, particularly the view of women that I osmosed turned out to be very different than the actual world I then went into as an adult and the way that I spoke to the women that I would meet now uh, in my, you know, working life was a very, very, very rude awakening to me that, oh, actually I can't treat people or speak to people like that. Yeah. Thankfully, I know better. So I, I, now I know better and now I, I do better. But I remember coming out going, why is everyone so angry at me all the time? This is how uh, all my friends so talk. single sex boys school. See, what we... we went co-ed with our kids because it's the co-ed oh, yeah. world, right? Mm. And it's a different time. But I just, they're just, in many respects, the boys are very simple. Like yeah. they want to kiss a girl, so they kiss a girl. And then they, you know, they don't think any more yeah. of it. You grew up in, in in Melbourne and I kind of, you know, adjacently know this through, you know, one of my one of my dear mates who um, also, I think he even went to one of those schools. He's like, you know, very, you know, Jewish guy, you wouldn't know it. Oh, you know, I didn't go to Jewish schools. No, no, no. But he, neither did he. Oh, right. Uh, and so he had a kind of similar vibe. But you know, the the kind of ingrained kind of Melbourne, yeah. uh, Jewish kind of uh, community there is it's. I think it feels a little more kind of powerful than the one here in in Sydney, which is mostly in the east and a bit north of where we are right now. But it's very much a thing, and you can be in it and live most of your life without getting out of it and everything can mean everything within it and then you take a tram for four extra stops and no one gives two shits what you, you know, did or said or, or whatever. Did you find yourself kind of being, you know, trapped a bit by that or did you find yourself rebelling against it? No, it wasn't. I've always had a dual passport. <laughs> so. <laughs> what are you doing Friday? Coming to the movies with you. <laughs> was that or was it, no, I can't do anything? No, 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 no. I've always had a dual passport. Right. And I am culturally, it's my culture. Yeah. As distinct from my religion. You know, like I am a yeah. cultural, like you can't help that. And that's yeah. about valuing food and, mm. um, and connections. And, yeah. But I live a very... Uh, integrated life yeah i i guess people sometimes ask me about that you know they they make some they you know they see my name and clearly assume things i'm like oh, it would take it would be a bit hard not to presume something with osha this is true uh, and ginsburg and i say yeah it would take it, it would take a conversion that i don't think you know i can i can you know actually get to as far as the way I feel about things physiologically, uh, philosophically, and also a, a, a form of surgery that at this point in my life I really don't want to go through. Uh, so how I don't really. Happen? How did that happen that you got this far in life without that? Because it uh, was my father's father. Ah. Yes. But do you feel, Oh, we don't have to go down here. No, no, no. This is what I want to get to. This is what I want to get to because I've spent a I've spent a fair amount of time in uh, in the Middle East, and uh, I've certainly culturally been around uh, Jewish communities that are way more uh, integrated with you know the greater society at large, and 
culturally, not you know, you know, f- f- as from a theological perspective, culturally, the inbuilt way of looking after each other, the inbuilt way of, and I know we always get together on Fridays, the inbuilt way of, I don't know, I do give to charity. That's just the thing that I do. That sort of thing for me serves society and a greater community in an extraordinary way that I think the larger, you know, secular Australian, uh, you know, society, you know, misses. And you know, trying to put those- that. You know, my kids play soccer and it's the beautiful game. Everyone plays soccer and my kids are good at it. And in their team, both of them, there's um, there are Muslim kids, there are Greek kids, there are Italian kids, there are Asian kids, there are kids from everywhere, and there are kids from Celtic backgrounds. You know, like there's a a Mustafa and there's a Michael and there's a excellent. You know, there's a a Liao and there's a you know, not too many Andrews anymore actually, but you know, there are all sorts of different and the multicultural nature of the makeup of our society. It's not so dissimilar to what you're describing, you know, like every persons that have come here and our own Indigenous mob, they too have really, really strong ties that bind. So Mm. if you look for it, you can see it, you know, that notion of family and that notion of togetherness and that notion of community, it exists and the Greeks and the Jews aren't too far apart, you know. No, they're really quite close, actually. It's just like shh, over there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really like, it's quite interesting. A couple hours on a boat, and you're right there. Like it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I find so culturally, I, I understand what you're saying, and I do. I but do more get interestingly, it. I, if yours is yeah. two generations back, yeah. Do you, and you still identify with it? I well, this is that is it, is isn't that it? Of you your know, name, or is it because of what you see in the mirror? Because, you know, this is what also happens with Indigenous people, you know, that there might yeah. be an Indigenous strand a couple mm. of generations back and yet that's how our Indigenous brothers and sisters identify because it's calling them, you know. It's I, yeah, I don't know if it's epigenetic. It might be. I don't know. There's, there's evidence to suggest that trauma can be passed, you know, down through DNA. Trauma, absolutely. Yeah, I, and, and I, you know, certainly to both of my parents at one point were refugees. I, I have no doubt that, you know, that bit of that came through, uh, which is why I kind of got to be such the jumpy person that I am sometimes. Do you have but I, in your background? Uh, yeah, my father's, um, yeah, my grandfather lost two sons, uh, right. two, of my, two of my uncles, yeah. So um, your met, dad, do your dad I go met, uh, it's a long, it's a long story involved. He was, he was, uh, you know, he, he, his father, he w- was essentially his stepbrothers that, that okay. uh, and they were fair, they were older than him, but I have sat the only person I ever met in my life that looked like my dad, you know, I got from Brisbane with a Czech father you know, who liked stinky cheese and, and weird meat and black yeah, bread yeah. And, and didn't, you know, this fucking foot. That's not football. That's too many goalposts. What's that about? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What, you know? Um, nobody spoke like him, talked like him, looked like him. I went back to um, the Czech Republic with him 30 years to the week after he escaped. And this is in the 1998. And I sat across the table from him and his half-brother and they looked it almost they had the same hands, had the mm. same face. Mm. And this is a guy 
who his other two brothers had both been murdered in the camps ah. and he was literally involved in the construction of uh, gas chambers when they were liberated. And he lived in Germany. And I remember asking him, it's like, Pavel, why do you, why do you live here? And they were ah. translating for me. And he goes, this country took so much from me, this country can look after me. I'm like, fucking hell, man. That's like... That's heavy, that's right? Unbelievable. So... The, the conversation around around what happened in the Holocaust and the effects of it is so humongous and so gigantic and it cannot be ignored and the effects of it cannot be are still felt everywhere today. For me, though, Libby, some of the things that are done in the in using it as a uh, justification, I don't agree with, but that's for me. Though to still see, and I do want to ask you about this. I'm doing this fake news show at the moment, which is the show I'm plugging on your thing. And oh, I would, while I'm plugging my bold conversation. Yeah, see, we're having a bold conversation. I don't normally talk about these things. All right, really publicly. Well, I don't suppose I've really given the opportunity to. Although the other week, when we were talking about what was the topic, we were talking about. Oh, I'm so offended. I it I did trigger which is relevant to this conversation, when mm. I went to Hebrew school, because I went to an Anglican girls' school down here, and mm. on Sundays I went to Hebrew school. So mm. uh, and I was thrown out of Hebrew school as well. However, what used to happen was that at recess, because it went from 9 till 12 or whatever it did, at recess there was a, a jail, we used to call it the jail, on the premises around the corner from the synagogue. So it was a big barbed wire fence with a gate. And the older kids would lock the younger kids in the jail. And the game was that you had to escape if you wanted to get yourself an icy pole at recess. And that's intergenerational trauma. So whilst I didn't have the Holocaust in my direct line of family, because my family has been in this country, you know, they came in the first fleet. I'm a Solomon, one of the Solomon families. You know, that's just interesting. My partner, Stuart, his family also came around about the same time, but they came from Ireland and Scotland. So we're both sixth-generation Australians but different wow. backgrounds. So the, I didn't have the Holocaust directly in my family, but I felt it um, and I grew up feeling that I was hated uh, by everybody else because of the Holocaust story. So that's so the I'm, 70s and the 80s. You inherit this stuff. Well, unfor- this is the thing I did want to talk to you about is that just um, we're doing this fake news show that I'm doing, which I would – dearly love you to come and be a part of. I'll talk to you about it off air because if it, I'd want it to be a surprise for the cast. Um, during this fake news show, I'm reading a ton of news and like Nazis on the streets in Elwood, given it the old my, my tomato plants grow this high uh, in 2023 in the summertime in broad daylight, like actually what the fuck? Like how, what? Like what are you like? This blows I my mind. I didn't think they were in Elwood. I thought they were in Ballarat. But anyway, but no, they're like there's this particular boxing gym in Sunshine um, that is terrifying. I've seen the pictures that came out on some Telegram chat, and there's like maybe 120, 130 guys, and there's like the proper you know swastikas on the chest, and you know giving it the old Sieg Heils, and oh, dear. they sh- they're showing they they stormed a, a morning M O U R morning ceremony. Uh, on um, January 26, you know, full proper white power, and there's a there's a picture of the same guys uh, on a beach 
uh, not Brighton, like whatever's a particularly Jewish area near there. E, e starts with E, the beach. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. Like on the beach in the middle of the day, there's like 30 of them all like doing a Sieg Heil in the middle of the street. Like what? How is this? Like it's not a joke and it's not some sort of fun club to be a part of. And I wonder how did we get there where? Well, I think that Mr Andrews is, is banning that stuff. Really? Yes, that's my understanding. If I go any further with this conversation, I'll stray into an area that I'm not informed about except for an emotional response. So Got it. I'll, I'll put that full No, fair up. enough, though. Because I, but... I would just have an emotional response. I don't have anything beyond that knowledge mm. that was programmed into me at a very young age that everybody hated you. God damn. What do you think of that? Yeah. Although, come Easter at my Anglican girls' school, I used yeah. to be the one that took the matzah, the bread and the Vegemite to show that, you know, we were human too. <laughs> so it's interesting how food is the way that uh, yeah. that cultures integrate into mainstream society. You know, with the Vegemite on the matzah, I reckon that once we started eating sushi, the Japanese got okay. Uh, yeah, I think you know, they're not. Interesting. Yeah, but you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Food goes Vietnamese uh, food. Mate, it's huge in Melbourne. The great Australian rapper Briggs talks about that. He goes, mate, don't you, do you stay away from my food court? Don't you mess with my flavours? Don't mess with my flavours. You know, this is a, this is a, 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 a First Nations, Nations of food. He's a yorta, yorta yorta man from Shepparton. He's yeah. like, like, immigration's done a lot of things to Australia, but don't fuck with my fucking food court, mate. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, give me that, give me that bow. Give me the sanctuary bow. <laughs> give me the sanctuary bow. Give me the bow. Give me the sanctuary bow. It's all about it. Interesting. You know, I, I guess you know you have a, you have an emotional response. So I guess you know for me when I when I when I see those guys, I'm just really, I'm just sad that the thing that they have found the edge of the pool they have found to hold on to is that yeah, you well, know people. There's a lot of stuff out there that rabbit holes that people can fall into oh. and they don't feel. Um, I can't psychoanalyze a whole group, but, you know, there's particularly amongst my understanding is blue-collar white young men who feel hopeless, but it's a community. Yeah. You know, it's one of those yeah. communities. It's an easy one to exploit because, you know, it, it literally was a world made for you and policed by people who look like you, policing laws that were written for people like you by people like you. Uh, and that's been changing quite a bit over the last 20, 30 years, and it's not hard to go, oh, it's because of them. I mean, it's been happening for since time immemorial. But, but they're always, it's because of them. You know, like they're all yeah. sorts of thems. Yeah. Because of the gays, it's because of the blacks, it's because of the Jews, it's yeah. because of the, you know, like xenophobia is a very easy crutch yeah. to hold on to if you don't want to look at yourself. I don't know. Your show's called "Young People Shit Me." But young the, people shit me. The, the the vibe that I when I'm looking at the young, <laughs> yeah, really. you know, the young the young people in my life, which are you know mostly G's cohort who I've known since they were about ten when I, I I showed up in Audrey and George's life, couldn't give two shits what someone's sexuality or no. background is. No, it's much more fluid, but they're also more conservative than us too. Like, for instance, on my last show, Bold Conversations About Being Offended, we put on um, Friendy from Puppetry of the Penis. Anyway, he tied his dick in knots, right? He was very funny, 
He's very good at it. He was very good at it. He came out of retirement. Oh, could you imagine the warm-up? I haven't done this for a couple of years. No, Let me was, give me a I moment. I didn't have to imagine. I, I saw it. You saw the warm-up? I saw the warm-up. We all saw the warm-up. It was funny. What? Did you get the wristwatch? Got the wristwatch. Got the hand, but that's up. the wristwatch is the classic. Got, all, got everything, got everything. The greatest is, did they play Hotel California? Did he do the hamburger? I mean, that's really, he that's the, the hamburger. He did the Oh, my God, that's incredible. Anyway. The hamburgers, that's an advanced manoeuvre. What was funny was that a couple of mums from school bought tickets and came along and then went home and explained to their sons in my son's year and daughter, daughter's year, that where they had been and what the kid's mother, that is me, had on her show. So at dinner on um, Friday night, our son said, Johnny's mum said, you did this. You had this on your show. What on earth are you doing? And the group of us that were there were all there in the 90s. So we were, so it was funny. It was, it was a funny yeah. thing. And we wanted to talk about whether it was still funny. Like, is it offensive or is it funny? That was the whole point. Well, the kids, anyway, Friendy had left a book called Genital Origami that he wanted me to pass on to another guest as a thank you, lovely, lovely to meet you thing. I brought it to the table and the kids were looking at it at the table and my daughter's saying, I, I've just seen something that I cannot unsee. I think it was the Eiffel Tower. Amazing. It's a tricky, tricky one to do. <laughs> it's a, but it's funny, right? Hilarious. Then we started questioning our parenting skills. And then but it was just interesting that the kids were not delighted that grown-ups got up to these antics. The kids were more offended they thought it was stupid and they didn't understand why on earth we thought it was funny or why anyone would want to do it it's interesting i felt like i was that our own children were kind of like saffy in abfab you know and that we were all patsy and adina rolled into one and we've got this raising this generation who are so much more um not serious minded but yeah i guess that we we're pushing against something at the time which might not st still be there culturally. You know, there's, you certainly, you can, you know, open up Instagram and see for all kinds of, you know, acceptance everywhere. And so there's porn everywhere. So they get to see, yeah. they can, you see, this is why I can't be on McFeast and why I knew I couldn't be on McFeast anymore. If I was planning to have a family, yeah. I'd read so much about comedians whose kids hated what they did and, right. and were embarrassed by what they did and um, felt smothered really, by what they did. It was yeah. sort of a decision, not just the female economy, but the responsible decision of my, what I felt like my children would want to yeah. back off. So I just did other work. I just yeah. used another part of my brain because I didn't want my kids to, to grow up like that. Now, that being said, they're in their teens now and I've kind of let myself off the leash. So You're free and clear, Libby. But, um, Get after it. They can they can deal with it now. Like they've had a fairly yeah. stable and normal upbringing. Yeah, and they haven't watched. I think I've watched one of my things, the Whitlam dismissal, and they weren't interested. <laughs> when you so you so you raise you're raising your kids, and there's always going to be moments when they first start. You know, everyone's your friend at school until suddenly people aren't your friend, and then you can have a hard time in the schoolyard, and people can kind of push you around and bully you and stuff like that. Yeah. Considering what happened to you, which bit? Well, which bit? The bit where before there was cancelling, there oh, was chopper. like yeah. you were the the greatest of all cancellers, like because. A, 
I mean, when I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you don't have to record, like, just for people who weren't there. Um, you tell the story. He's dead, he's dead now. But <laughs> uh, Chopper was on uh, Elle's show. They were very live. And he started talking about, you know, making jokes about shoving someone back down in a concrete mixer and laughing because he wasn't dying. And now bear in mind, a person's admitting to a horrific, horrific murder on television. He was reading it from his book. It was a passage from right. his book, yeah. But the person who was destroyed over that was not that person. It was the smart, funny woman who happened to be next to him. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Australia. You know, and, and that is that is just so bananas. And it's I would like to think stuff has changed, but it fucking hasn't. It happened to my friend Yumi. Oh, she was yeah. she was on telly oh next God, to yes. George Negus. And if you watch the thing back, they were talking about Corporal Ben Robert Smith. I if know. You watch the and segment what's back with him. Negus says way worse shit than Yumi did, but Yumi's a smart, funny, half Asian woman. No amount of contrition would make it better. And so I guess when you're talking to your kids about, oh, the world is ending, like this person, someone doesn't want to be my friend anymore, like do you have that in your mind going, oh, oh child, no. oh, child? No, the only thing I have in my head is study hard and be a plastic surgeon. <laughs> don't go into showbiz. Both, both Stuart and I are from showbiz. I mean we're, we're both um, people who have graduated from media. Yeah. I've got law as well, so that's cool. Stuart's from a showbiz family, so he understands what it's all about. And we encourage our children. I'm slightly disappointed they haven't gone in any of the school plays and stuff, but COVID yeah. kind of got in the way. They play soccer, which is entertainment in, in a different yeah. way. Yeah, it is. But it's not, uh, you know, it's a. I think it was just the time that we grew up in the 70s and 80s where to be famous was a way out. And it was mm. sort of interpreted as if you were famous, that meant everyone liked you. It meant that you fitted in. It meant that everything would be great because we had mm. a young talent time. I mean, think of all those young talent timers, what they've gone through as they went, they became adults. Like it's, but at the time it looked like they had everything, but it was so hard for them being famous as kids. There was Burt Newton new faces. There was that. Irene Cara, fame, I want to live forever, and there was the TV series fame. Like all of that stuff was just saying, kids, if you're famous, everything will be all right. That was the programming that me and so many of my ilk. Oh, I signed up for it. Yeah. Everything will be awesome once I get on TV. That was it. That was it. Wasn't. Well, it never is because, (laughs) no, it never is because once you've become a commodity, then you're not yourself anyway, are you? Like, And I was in Sydney with a different name. No one knew me. So I yeah. didn't really exist until after McFeast. And so in a sense, yeah. it was a, a blessing because I wow. had to, you know, redefine myself. What was I actually here for? It was interesting. Like not easy, yeah. but I haven't come out of it too badly. Like I've got a family, I've got a career, I've got kids, I've got friends. And yeah. I feel, yeah, I've got a couple. <laughs> Just, you know what I mean? Like it's interesting. When you look at the other side of it, yeah, it was a very destructive thing to happen to my life. Yeah. But it wasn't so much him. It was the shattering of the illusion of what I was doing that, yeah. that damaged me. 
if that the happened. idea that the idea that no, actually, all that all the stuff that happened at law school and you know the getting above the you know entitled kids and all this kind of stuff that you've climbed to the top. Actually, no, you actually don't matter. Uh, was it was it that? No, it was more that the world I thought I built as a famous mm. person was real. Ah, uh, I have well and truly bought into that. <laughs> wasn't quite as spectacularly public as yours was, but uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, I... so when it wasn't, mm. that was a great dismantling of where I'd chosen to, um, I don't know, place my attention and invest my trust and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Have you seen the Kanye West documentary on Netflix? No. Is it good? My God. Like, it's look, it's incredible and so tragic. Because he's clearly a fucking genius. Really? All right. And in the first in like the us. first ten minutes, in episode in episode one, in the first ten minutes, he basically looks straight down the barrel of the camera. It's his friend filming him basically, and he says, "This is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to do this, and this many Grammys, and this, and it all happens. It, it all comes true. He's like this, you know, 21 year old, 22 year old kid, right? And then the Taylor Swift thing happens. Taylor, I'm going to let you finish. And then, like. The part of me, I'm just assuming here, but he's quite ill now. He's he's, he's quite ill, and uh, he's been public about you know what is going on. And the the part of me that has experienced paranoid delusions, I've exp- I've been through psychosis. It's no fun. Looks at that and go, oh wow, everyone actually was staring at you, and everyone actually was, and your world actually was clawing in around you. And the the line between what your brain was inventing and what was actually happening around you might have become too blurry that you just, you lost the edge of the pool there for, and uh, weren't able to come back for, and it's, it's amazing, but it's horribly sad, but it's incredible to watch. There's three, three episodes of it. When all that shit went down um, with you, it was an extraordinarily high profile show. And, you know, it was the media cycle. There was no social media. So it was all anyone fucking talked about for weeks. How did you get, how did you get through it? Besides going to ground, how did you, what did you hold on to? in those, you know, days and weeks following that? What did I hold on to? Well, it didn't stop overnight. So, like, the trauma of it continued through, but I felt a great responsibility that the show must go on. So, Mm -hmm. like, we made some more specials and things like that after that. But the truth was that I did lose my mojo and where I'd previously been unafraid Mm. I now had fear Mm. and mistrust I never I I adored what I did and I'd always loved it and it's sort of like the first time you bust your leg on the football field or whatever so I I think what I ended up doing was going overseas when the year was done I went somewhere where I could be Libby and I went overseas. Now, and that was good because all I craved was for someone to call me Libby. Yeah. And not else. I needed to work out what that was. And then it was just, you know, a very long cycle of um, getting back on your feet, really. You know, and, and what, what I thought was the thing that I craved was authenticity. That's mm-hmm. what I craved. Didn't crave the fame. I craved people just talking to me honestly and, you know, 
So it was just a funny thing. And then, and then of course, then all of a sudden, then I started craving wanting to work again. So had to rebuild it. But, but did but, it in a different way. Went on the radio. Yeah. So that's what it was. It was basically reinventing myself within the same yeah. industry. Yeah. As a human being rather than as a facade that was out for a joke. And I, I sort of turned myself inside out, if this makes sense, in that with McFeast it was always joke first, meaning joke first. There had to be the joke because that was why you were there. Yeah. But obviously I always craved a bit of meaning as well. And yeah. then it became the other way around whereby I could actually be authentic and if I could use my humour to diffuse a situation or get somewhere further or whatever, humour was something I deployed not to make my guests the punchline but to mm. further explore the topic. So that's what happened. I turned myself inside out, Osha. Just a moment away from Libby Gore to let you know that if you'd like to know more about the show or keep up to date with what's happening or get news about when tickets are going on sale for the live show we're doing, get on our mailing list. I've tried all kinds of ways to communicate with people that listen to this show and it looks like the mailing list is the way, uh, the, the simplest way and the most effective way to get in touch with people that doesn't involve me paying literally hundreds of dollars for you to see something. No thanks to certain social media platforms that I will not name. So jump on the mailing list and I can let you know about when all the tickets I'm about to talk about go on sale and links, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're all in the show notes, but uh, the very last Sydney show, and I'm not John Farnham here, I'm saying the last Sydney show at the Factory Theatre goes on sale, is on sale right now, and it's this Friday, 17th. That's the last one we're doing there. Then we go to the Melbourne Comedy Fest, Melbourne International Comedy Festival at the Malthouse Theatre, which will be shit tons of fun. We start on the 30th, the day after my birthday. We run till the 9th. And the Sydney Comedy Festival, I believe it goes on sale on Tuesday. So all those links will be in the show notes. Uh, I can't wait to see you. It's such a fun show. It's live. It's dangerous. It's freaking, dude, there was a moment on Friday. It was terrifying, but it'll never make any edits that you ever hear or see of the show. (laughs) God damn, we got out of that one. Just by the skin of our teeth. But it was fun. Um, I'll shut up, play some ads, and we'll be back with Libby Gore. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Not everyone's going to host a TV show and have, you know, the the the... the the right-wing media crush them uh, (laughs) and then keep crushing them. You have to remember that it was also only a year after Diana was killed, if you remember. And also I I think um, Mr Murdoch's marriage had broken up and we'd made some jokes about that and, you know, like there was all sorts of stuff that was going on that wasn't nice in media at the time. Yeah. So it was just timing. Well, the fact that you were able to put that back together the way you did and did successfully so and find a love for it again and approach it 
approach this thing from a, a different place that sounds like it was in alignment, uh, searching for something different but perhaps closer to who you are. I like connection, uh, is, you know. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I, ho I hope people can hear that and go, well, we're not all going to host TV shows or, or radio shows or whatever, but to go, well, they, you can actually rebuild stuff and you can have something like this happen to you and go, okay, well, how do I put it back together? And that it can be great. Uh, but if people don't know that, they don't. They can think that's it. World's over. That's I'm never. Um, I'm I'm out. But yeah. Well, you got to have real people around you. I started with a very small nucleus of real people around me again. You know, mm -hmm. people that I've known from law school and from school and my family, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And Stu and um, and on we went, step by painful step. If the fear is is the fear still there? Like if someone said, "Hey, Libby, got a late night uh, live show." You want to come do it? Well, that's we're what bold it's interesting because Bold Conversations is moving back into that area whereby, yeah. you know, you can take a few risks. And I'm just, as I, you know, you need to know who's holding your legs if you're going to dangle out a window. That's a good And line. maybe I wouldn't dangle out a window as far either because there's no need. There's actually no yeah. need. I, I don't need to get that greater thrill. You can, it's evolution, not revolution, you know. You know that Billy Joel yeah. song? I know this really ages me, but I, I fucking love Billy Joel. Like he's, I went to his concerts and I read. It was good to a point. He was good to. To a point. Like, I wasn't good so to a point. Marlon Curtin, but, but I went to his concerts to honour my 16-year-old self, right? And when he sang Vienna, there was a whole heap of women in their 50s going, oh, my God, that's my song. Vienna waits for you. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile, but if you're so smart, tell me why you're still so afraid, you know? Like, ah, that was really nice for a moment, then I felt a bit silly. And then I remembered that I was wearing my Sherbet T-shirt because, you know, I'm a Daryl Braithwaite fan. I'm so happy for Daryl Braithwaite and Harry Styles. Amazing. Like, Daryl, sometimes I text him because I've chased him for eight, for, since I was 18, which is like 40 years 30, 39 years I've chased Daryl Amazing. And he said it was a life moment. And I said, you know, isn't this great that you can actually keep having life moments if you get back up? It's not. I just hope he got, I just hope he got paid. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> think of that. I just hope he got paid. Like those tickets are like 300 bucks each. There's 40,000 people there. Daz, Daz is giving you the moment of the night, Harry. Oh, geez, throw, I didn't even. Throw him a bone, mate. I did not throw think of that. Throw him a bone because he's not getting publishing. He didn't write it. So, so. You know, he only gets a performance fee. You know, I think at the business end of things, like I didn't. What it's like, if people will never forget that moment. You know, um, I just, I just hope has to earn some cash. Uh, and the, the great tragedy of horses is Mar it was Margaret Ehrlich. Is yeah. that if that song, if that song came out now, it would be billed as a duet. It would be Daryl Braithwaite featuring Margaret Ehrlich. There's no way that the female um, voice. This is not Daryl's decision. It would have been a management decision or a record company decision. But Margaret's unfucking believable voice makes that song, and. It's a duet. The song's a duet, but it's just a Daryl Braithwaite. It, anyway, oh, it's that's, not a, that's a duet. It's not a duet. She just comes in in the chorus. She's featured, but it's not equal. But I, but she was still brilliant on it. I'm not disputing amazing. that she was brilliant. It's an incredible track. You know, it's as a lawyer, track. I would have to look at the percentage of vocal time that took yeah. up. But isn't that interesting? It's, I didn't think about whether or not he would have. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard Nothing Compares to You yes. as a duet? No. Who's done that? Oh, well, it's Prince. It's Prince song. Yeah. And Prince, it's a duet. Right. It's, him and, it's him and Rosie Gaines. 
Uh, they, there's a live version of it with him and Rosie Gaines. When you hear it as a duet, when they sing verse to verse for each other, it is just Isn't it amazing? I have to look it up. Because they sing, like it's that. two lovers singing to each other about, oh, it's, yeah. uh, I've got goosebumps just thinking about it. Fuck, it's amazing. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to come and uh, see you. Is there anyone else on the bill? Who else is joining oh, us? Oh, so with you, oh, so on Thursday, on the 16th, that's going to be amazing. That's um, called My Favourite Failure. And Bold Conversations, My Favourite Failure has got Julia Zamiro, who's a very wow. dear friend of mine, Peter Singer, the philosopher, the international philosopher, the Miss Amazing. Dane Simpson, who's an Indigenous comic didgeridoo artist, and a Classic stand-up is very, comic very funny. called Hei Huang, who's Chinese, and she did the funniest routine at um, the funniest routine at Upfront, the female um, thing at the comedy festival. And I think she might have even been on Australia's Got Talent and did incredibly well. But she's wow. a gay Chinese stand-up comic, and she does a really, f- and that's no good in China. You know, so she came to Australia and she's made a whole new life being yummy Chinese leftovers. It's funny. She's so funny. And then your show is called Young People Ship Me, Old People Ship Me. And it's got you, Michelle Brazier, stand-up comic from Sydney, who'll be also in town. Mary Moody, who is a fan, you'll love her. She's just like, I met her on this Channel 9 show called The Catch-Up and she is in her late 70s, she's an old hippie. She loves saying things like dry as a dead dingo's donger. Her husband was a, she ran away to France basically when she turned 50 and wrote a series of books about, you know, her, about everything. She's amazing. She's a tour guide and a writer. And then um, Indigenous brother, his name is um, Shane and his nephew, his name is Dylan Charles, Yorta Yorta men, right, from Shepparton. Yeah. And so yeah. they're going to talk about young people shoot me, old people shoot me and do a duetting didgeridoo act. You're going to love yeah. Shane and Dylan. I love it. I have, well, I, I, don't, I, don't have, I haven't been told anything to prep, but I have an extraordinary example and I won't tell you now, no, but I have an, now. an extraordinary example about the line uh, between young people and old people and it involves my new motorcycle. Oh, I want to know. So, yeah, it's fucking fascinating well uh, i'll tell you what happened to me i was at 7-eleven parked at the 7-eleven to get petrol moved across yeah. to go in and pay and opened my car door and the girl in the car next to me said don't ram your door into my car and i said i'm not i'm sorry i didn't mean to we're just a bit close maybe she'd come in to me and she said well whatever i don't care just don't bang my car and i said I've got a very big bottom, so, you know, I've got to squeeze out trying to make a joke to get through it. She said, please don't blame your eating, disordered eating condition on me. Wow. And I wanted to say, you can get fucked. But she had no qualms about speaking to me like that. She was obviously 20 years younger than me. She was, you know, a well-educated, nice young woman didn't have a measure of humour nor respect for someone older than her and I felt really old because I just wanted to, I wanted to do grievous bodily harm. I moved well, my and car. This, but this, Libby, this is the thing. That she didn't care that she was rude to I, me. I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about it, but I think I, I was a roadie at the age of 17, so I'm working in nightclubs and stuff before I could even be in them legally, and I saw so much, like, 
fucking grievous early 90s pub violence, like proper people's faces getting smashed by bottles, like horrible, horrible shit. Going like, that, it, that took nothing to start. Someone, people didn't even speak to each other. Someone just looked at someone, elbow touched yeah. in the wrong way. And then, you know, growing up to an all boys school and being, I'm number two of four brothers, you know, I learned pretty quick that stuff that comes out of my mouth, there's a real risk of violence depending on, and, and grievous violence depending on what that stuff is that comes out of my mouth. And maybe now I'm sounding like an old man because I am, but I'll, I'll like, Maybe there is, you know, people who are used to responding in this incendiary way, uh, whether it be on a, a, a newspaper comment box or at a Facebook post or whatever, like that's just how I speak to people. It's me, you know, like it leave this, you know, like me at my worst, I, you can't have me at my best. It's like you're someone that's never actually dealt with the consequences of what their voice says to a complete fucking stranger. Yeah. You know, you've never been hit for something you've said yeah uh i'm not saying that that's a great thing to do no. like you shouldn't hit someone but it's happened to me and it happened to be early enough that later on when i got older i started going out i'm like i'm just gonna keep walking oh, <laughs> it's not fucking worth it yeah, man. Yeah, don't how do you get what kind of that's going to be a tricky life like at one point that person's going to say what she said or something similar to somebody who will have absolutely no problem about going really tire iron <laughs> and like it, it is interesting it's like it's like what ricky gervais said like how have we bred a whole generation of young people who think that they're entitled to go through life and not be offended like yeah that just it's the rustle and bustle of human existence and i'm not talking about bigotry racism i'm not talking about the black and white stuff that obvious rights and wrongs i'm talking about the stuff that's gray that the offense yeah. in the hearing or the 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 action is in the hearing of it. Yeah. It's very interesting because we're just not like that. Like we just had to brush yeah. things off. But I'm not saying they have to be like that, but I, it is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And then to be disabled and called a Karen for actually speaking up, I mean, that's just uh, making older women invisible again anyway, isn't it? I mean, there are some of them that are mad at Bunnings, but I'm once again I'm talking about the grey area of... Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean? It's... It is, uh, I mean, it, for me, it like it I might. I embrace my character. I love Wicked. calling it that. My daughter did a wordle. She cu curated a wordle for me. I thought she was so clever. I, I thought, how are you doing this? And I'm getting to turn around the letters. And when I turned the five letters around, the word that she picked for me was Karen. Amazing. I said, you wait. Nice. You wait. Give it time, son. Give it Give time. time. You, you will become whatever Karen is by the time you're that age. You'll want it'll service. Happen. You will want, I just, I just want, yesterday want at breakfast with Audrey. Job. At breakfast with Audrey yesterday, we got someone to come and mind Wolfie so she and I could nip off for an hour and a half to go and have some breakfast. And, you know, the waitress walked past our empty water bottle on the table like three times and both she and I were like, I'm trying not to let this ruin the moment. Ah. She's like, I've, she's like, I've worked hospo. I even want you to look at it and keep walking. <gasps> like, like I just want, I just that's that is your job, you know. My I do my job so I can come here and pay for the food, but the part that I'm paying for is involves that. Yeah, that's that's a part of it. You like it's not just enough to do. It's not just it's not, it's not just the porridge. It's the thing. This water that's empty. It's a first world complaint, but it's an interesting one. 
I uh, I look forward to bridging the gap between the older and young because I think that you mentioned before no one talks about the Generation X, but like I'm somewhere in between. I'm still kind of young enough to be able to dye my hair blonde and ride motorcycles around like I'm 20, but then I've also got a, you know, a number of hip replacements by now and I wear hearing aids, you know, <laughs> and I'm old, so I don't know what to do. Um, I could speak to you all afternoon, but, but, you know, I can't wait to see you in a couple of days. Uh-huh. And, it's um, been an absolute pleasure. If people want to get to the gig, they just go to the Malt House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Malt House Outdoors. If you want to come and see Bold Conversations or you want to see Osha's gig, just go onto the Malt House website and you can see us. It's a lovely little venue. It's like there's like, you know, there's like you know, trellises and vines and, oh, and you know, it's, it's outdoors. It's delightful. It is. It's beautiful and it feels really intimate. Yeah. So, yeah. We're lucky. And comedy festival is a lovely time of year to be there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, day before my birthday. So bring me a present if you like. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. I'm looking forward to seeing you. That was Libby Gore. Amazing. Come join us in Melbourne, 28th of March. I will have just driven from Sydney that day. The conversation is um, (laughs) old people shit me, young people shit me. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. At the very same theatre, at the Malthouse Theatre, two days later I'll be opening uh, NTNN NNN. We'll be playing for 10 nights at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Get on it. It'd be super great to have you there. All the tickets are in the show notes. I can't wait. I really can't wait. All the cast are so excited. We're all so thrilled about going to Melbourne. I just still can't believe it that in September I had this idea for a show and I even wrote down, and I'll do the Melbourne National Comedy Festival and we're going to fucking do it. Ah, uh, amazing. It's going to be a ripper. So get on it. It's super fun. It's so cool. I'm loving it getting pretty real now Uh, um, I'll be back on Wednesday enjoy your day thank you very much to everyone that helped me make the show today Mike Mills on the music Bruce Steele on the research uh, Andy Ma on audio and video post-production and Rachel Barrett who executive produces and organises my life thanks heaps I love ya small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 